Hello, and welcome to I Found a Thing, the podcast where we search through the depths of Kickstarter and talk about the board games that we find there. My name is Evan Winch, and joining me, as always, my co-host, Sean Moore. How's it going, Sean? It's good. I got my dinner here, and I'm all ready to go. Excellent. What are you eating tonight? Spicy rice, spicy veggies. I'm a cheap date, and I love this stuff. <laughs> hey, man, you throw spice on anything, and it uh, instantly becomes a meal worth having. So a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how we get these really, really flashy weeks where there's all these huge games that are just blowing up the platform. And then there's other weeks where it's kind of like, man, I'm really glad we're not recording a show. This is one of those weeks. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's a lot of great stuff here. It's not big blockbusters. I don't think any of them are going to hit $6 million. It's not big blockbusters, but there's a lot of really cool concepts I'm finding this week. I didn't uh, bring a few of them, but one of them that I thought was really cool was a game called World Builder, which is literally just drawing cards from a deck and telling a story around it. One of the rules of the game is, don't worry about the rules. If the story makes more sense if you ignore the rules, ignore the rules. Wow. It's more of something just kind of like a mood setter, I guess, at the start of the night. No, that's fair. One of those really cool concepts is a solo game that I came across. This is the third game that this particular developer by the name of Tim Fowers has designed and released on Kickstarter. It's called Paperback Adventures, a novel solo word game. And when I read that title, I thought it was going to be more of a solo RPG, like you get a book in the mail and it's kind of one of those choose-your-own-adventure sort of things, but maybe with some dice or some card play involved. Uh, that's kind of becoming a bit more of a popular genre over the last couple of years. It's not. This is actually a full, fleshed-out solo deck-building game. And what's the uh, main purpose of this one? So the actual setting is kind of weird. You are playing as a writer writing a story so you're playing as the character in the story that's being written by the fictional character and the idea is that when you kind of hit writer's block and you're sort of combating these different adversaries you're laying cards down to spell words so it's kind of like scrabble meets a deck builder I was thinking, like, if you remember the old Bugs Bunny cartoons where the drawer just got tired of drawing and Bugs is like, what's going on here? And they both fight back and forth on whose control. I was thinking maybe something of that, that vein, or am I a little off there? I don't know if that actually has any mechanical effect on this, but that's kind of a fun way of picturing it, sure. Okay. What you'll do on your turn is you will draw four cards from the deck. Uh, those cards are going to have letters on them. And they'll have letters on the left-hand side and the right-hand side, as well as a bunch of different icons. And depending on how you choose to splay the words down, so let's say you're spelling hits, you could either have the left side of the cards showing or the right side of the cards showing. And depending on which way you go, it will have different effects. So maybe if you show all the right-hand side, you're going to be dealing mostly damage, get some energy to use your power-ups later on, or if you're using the opposite side, you're gonna be getting a lot more health, more blocking damage, it's more of a defensive action. And you're going to be also getting letters that are either just kind of null, they don't really do anything, but you have to spend them to get them out of your hand, or you'll get letters that will, if you don't use them, cause negative things to happen to you, like losing HP, or maybe not drawing as many cards on your next draw. So what happens like in Scrabble, where you get stuck with a Q, W, Z, Y. So those are some of the letters that are intentional negative cards to get into your hand. Like maybe when you 
fight a boss, they use their special on you and it throws a Z into your hand. That Z is just in your deck. If you don't use it, it's not the end of the world. It just goes into your discard pile. But it's still something that's going to keep coming back to haunt you until you're able to actually use it in a word, at which point it's removed from your deck. Okay. Uh, now, did this game do the Scrabble rule where it's like Q has to be in front of you or is Q married to you? I know I'm asking very specific uh, questions here, but I played way too much when Facebook <laughs> had uh, their Facebook games. I played way too much Scrabble on that. I don't think Q, you are actually in this because a lot of the words you're going to be spelling are only four or five letters long. There's not a ton of Q, you words that are going to be under that five letter mark. Maybe quiche. I can never remember how to spell that. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, no, it looks pretty cool. One of the things that is interesting about this is the pledge tiers. So they wanted to kind of have a modular system for this where you could have different characters and they would have different play styles, but they also wanted to keep costs down. So what they did was they released a base level pledge, which gets you the game, gets you all the systems, gets you all the components you need to play the game, and it gets you a character. Anything that you add on to that is going to add an extra character as well as some extra adventures that you can go on with either the original character or the new characters. So the characters that they have out there right now are the damsel who's more of a roguish kind of damage dealing class and a robot who's a little bit more on the defensive side. By the time this podcast hits the internet, uh, we will know who the third character is. As of right now, we don't, which I'm not really in love with because that is an entire tier of pledge. If it was kind of a stretch goal or a bonus sort of thing, great. I'm not as in love with the fact that it's a whole pledge tier that you're pledging for and you have no idea what it's going to be. I guess you're just kind of pledging on the promise and the ideal of the character, but uh, I think it's a pretty cool system. The only thing I would say about that third character is like if you're if you want people to to pledge on that without knowing what it is, at least have like an early bird pledge set up so that when you do announce the third character, the people who backed early are a little bit quote unquote rewarded. Yeah. Like even if you knock like $5 off. There was a 48 hour bonus if you got in on the first 48 hours. It was literally up this morning and I don't remember what it was, but it was a pretty <laughs> decent bonus. I just can't recall what it was. I think it was like a neoprene mat or something. Oh, and you love neoprene mats. I, you know it. All right. Well, this one looks cute, uh, but I think I have the cutest game this week. Oh, do tell. According to my wife, big things are not cute. So in my mind, if you see a big fuzzy grizzly bear who's just, you know, sitting there uh, nicely eating its berries, you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of cute. That's not very cute. However, in her mind, if you shrunk it down and the little grizzly bear could fit into your palms, that's adorable. That's cute. So, by definition, this is the cutest game I am bringing. Uh, this is Micro Dojo. Small ninjas. Uh, yeah, small ninjas. <laughs> this is from uh, Prometheus Game Labs. This is their very first Kickstarter. And it's, I know with uh, first time Kickstarters, you run the risk of like not getting what you want, but the pledge amount is real small five pounds, which equates to $9 Canadians. If it does fall through, you're really not missing too much. But it's very, very simple. It's micro, and it's simple, and I think it's a very good uh, start a night off game. You have a square of three by three, so think tic-tac-toe, and then on it, in all corners of the map, there are little dojo characters. You got like a samurai, you got your ninja, you got a sumo wrestler, and the idea is when you move one of those characters into a space, you get to 
do the action in that space. So it's a game uh, where you go up against another player. It's just two players. So if I were to be the first player, for example, and I want to move the sumo wrestler left, and I go into a square with like two foods, I then collect the two foods. Mm. After I'm done with it, I put my little meeple marker on there, and no one's allowed to touch the sumo wrestler while that marker's on there. Okay. So let's say it's your turn. Now you want to take the samurai, and you want to move him down. So now you get a little money and you get a little rice as well. So you do that and then you place your marker down. So now that those markers are down, I have the ninja and then I have the guy in the blue robe. So I have to decide which one I want to move. So let's say I move the ninja, I complete that action. Then I take my little marker that was on the sumo wrestler and then move it to the ninja. Then it's your turn and it's just kind of back and forth, back and forth. So you're kind of blocking each other from different resources. Yeah, a little bit. And since first player has an advantage, much like in tic-tac-toe, uh, second player, think of like in Hearthstone where second player just gets the coin. It helps balance it off. You get get rid of a token token. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say the guy that you really want to move is not available to you. You can spend that token and then you can move it. So the actions on the board are get a money, get food, build a building. So you'll have six buildings out and you can decide which ones you want to build and they have certain perks and whatnot when you build them. Then there's also activate, which will let you activate maybe a building has a bonus that helps you get like more food or you can activate a, a scoring objective. So sometimes the scoring objectives are who has the most food, who has the most money to food ratio and stuff like that. And it's a very quick game. It's the first to seven or the game ends when uh, you finish all the objectives. And I don't know, it just it just caught me. It's micro, so it's cute. And for $9, it doesn't seem like much of a risk. And if you really don't want to risk losing any money at all, you can get a print and play for it for just a pound or play it on tabletop. Or a toonie if you're a Canadian. Or a toonie. What would you rather have? Would you rather have a box of Timbits or have a print and play that you can, you know, kill some time with? What I think is interesting, because we've talked about two-player games a lot on this podcast and how we both really like them, but we also have a lot of two-player games, so adding another one to the collection is kind of tricky. This is probably the easiest game to add to the collection because it doesn't have a box. I was trying to figure out why this was so cheap, and it's literally they are not shipping it in a box. It's coming in an envelope. You can store it in that envelope, or maybe they'll add boxes if enough people ask for them. That's crazy. Sorry, I didn't know that. That threw me off. <laughs> I was looking... Okay, so that makes more sense because I'm looking at how it ships to you and i'm like oh that's a weird manila board that they're showing i'm like i don't understand it it looks like a box if you look at it at the wrong angle i'm like oh that's an envelope that's ridiculous they're literally sending you a punch board and that's the game which it's nine pounds it, yeah it's nine pounds like what more do you want that's pretty innovative way of getting a board game into your hands without it costing an arm and a leg yeah and shipping's pretty cheap too so it's it's not a big commitment either <laughs> it better be considering it's literally an envelope <laughs> come on post office you got one job i don't know i, I would imagine they're very suspicious of just manila envelopes going through the mail what i'm kind of curious of is if it's shipped poorly like if it's kind of manhandled they don't put the fragile label on there. Does that mean it comes pre-punched? <laughs> well, you can look at it that way. Uh, moving on to another game. This one does actually come with a box, and there's a few different sizes of box, depending on which one you want to go with, is Keystone North America. 
Now, a little bit of an aside, every time I see this title, I assume it is a sequel to the 2016 game Pipeline, uh, because Pipeline is a game about building oil lines and refining oil through the lines. In Canada, we've heard constantly about the Keystone North America Pipeline for the past like two or three years. It's this huge thing out west. And so I saw this game and I went, oh, cool, it's a Pipeline expansion set in North America around the Keystone debacle. No, this is completely different than that. So get that image out of your head if you're Canadian or if you're in the Western United States. This is a game all about ecosystems in North America. And what you're going to be doing is very similar to a game that came out on the platform last year, Cascadia. You're going to be designing ecosystems and building those ecosystems up with habitats as well as animals to live in them. And you're going to be doing that in a 4 by 4 column. Uh, each row is going to be a different habitat. You're trying to add animals to that row that have the specific marker on them to indicate they are a water animal or a forest animal or a plains animal. And the trick comes in with the numbers that are on the actual animals. So each tile has a number on it and they have to either be ascending or descending uh, depending on where you have things positioned. So there's a little bit of a strategy as far as placing these tiles. Procuring the tiles also has a little bit of a strategy to it because you have to spend a resource to get them very similar to the way the canvas works or Pax Premier with like dropping little coins the further in you want to go onto a card row. Uh, and you will get more coins by lining up certain animals with other animals. So there's all these different combos that you can pull off. And then there's these special rare animals called keystone animals. Those are ones that kind of are the linchpin that are holding the ecosystem together. When you add that animal to a row, it will actually score the row twice. Okay, so what kind of animals would be the keystone animals? An example of a keystone animal would be something like the Northwestern Gray Wolf, uh, because they're kind of a predator which will keep the population in control. You take them out and then all the little guys that are cute kind of start to overpopulate and you sort of have your ecosystem collapse. Another one would be a caribou. Another example of a keystone is the bumblebee because they keep pollen flowing and pollen kind of keeps everybody alive. So it's not just animals, it's like all aspects of nature. Yeah, and what's cool about it is depending on how large the animal is, that'll dictate the number that's assigned to it. So something like the bumblebee isn't really big, so it's a one. Uh, brown lemming, same deal, it's a one. Whereas when you get into your fours and your fives, you're talking grizzly bears, you're talking bald eagles, American alligators are in this game. And bunnies, but they're not obviously big. I'm just looking at the, the artwork for a bunny. I'm like, that's a good bunny. I could believe that's a bunny. It is a good bunny. And there is a lot of nice art in this. The animals are all very well drawn. I mean, it's very modern in its aesthetic. One thing that I really like is the player boards for the deluxe edition. So there's three different versions of this game, uh, and this will get into the bit where I'm a little bit less hot for it. There's the retail version, which is the low, low price of $55 Canadian. Uh, there is the deluxe edition, which gets you some nicer components. Everything's kind of got a, a nicer linen finish. And you also get custom art on your player boards. So the retail version player boards are just these kind of generic green areas that you're going to be filling up. Whereas the deluxe edition player boards have these beautiful ecosystems painted on with like swans and storks and autumn and deserts with pumas kind of roaming the hills and caribou on snowy mountains. They look really, really sharp. No, they do look really nice. I can understand why they wouldn't put that in the standard edition because, I mean, once you play the thing, the, the animals, then you block up that pretty art anyways. 
Oh, for sure. Plus, you could also have like alligators in the snowy area and be like, I don't think they're going <laughs> to last too long there. But, you know. No, I definitely think they needed something like that behind the paywall of the Deluxe Edition. Where my issue comes in is the Deluxe Edition isn't actually the most premium version. The premium version is the all-in, which comes with the Deluxe Edition. It also comes with a faux leather field journal and wooden tokens. And it's expensive. It's like $134 Canadian which is kind of where I get a little bit less excited. I mean, if you want those premium components, obviously you got to pay for them. It's just kind of odd that you would have a deluxe edition, but then there's a complete new tier that has what I would consider generally components you would include in a deluxe edition. Really? I know that is that is kind of annoying, but when they say premium faux leather, <laughs> I, oh my gosh. I, uh, I used to work at a certain shoe company, and uh, they would make shoes that every time you purchased them, uh, money would go towards like animal shelters and stuff. 90% of them were made with synthetic because obviously you can't use animals in your shoes that help support you know animal shelters, right? Except like 10% of them would actually would use actual leather. <laughs> so I'm really glad that they're using faux leather for the, you know, help the animals game out. Yeah. Because if it was premium leather, I'd be like, no, you can't use premium leather. That's pretty funny. <laughs> if you love animals so much you're going to get a board game, chances are you don't want to use one for your journal. Oh. Okay, the other thing I wanted to point out. I'm glad they're doing this for the Deluxe Edition and not the Retail Edition. The Retail Edition has a nice cover on there with everyone's you know, favorite animals. You got wolves are especially popular, owls, bison, and they got polar bears on the side and stuff. When you let the community decide what should be where and who should be what, I feel like you're asking for trouble. But since this is the Deluxe Edition and it's for Kickstarter, I'm sure it's it, it makes more sense then because... You know, I'm sure the community will probably pick a Mimi character, something like a ferret, which are awesome. But, you know, they're probably not going to drive too many people to your game. Knowing board gamers and knowing Kickstarter, they will choose Cthulhu. Yeah, okay. But, like, <laughs> if you're going to realistic, I feel like you break the illusion pretty quickly with Cthulhu. I think what I would want is, like, the caribou, uh, the sugar maple, the northern raccoon, and then that uh, brown lemming. Maybe uh, burrowing owls as well. That that feels very serene to me. If I'm asking my 10-year-old self, it's clearly the bald eagle. I'd vote for it four times. I think growing up, I must have been secretly an American patriot because <laughs> I really loved the bald eagle growing up. That was the greatest. What's funny is I believe that there are more bald eagles per square mile in British Columbia than most of the U.S., Oh, yeah, we definitely got a lot of them here. It's like Niagara Falls. We have the good side for the Niagara Falls. We also have the good side for the bald eagle population. I think it's more of a trade. Like, we get their national bird, and then they can just have our national bird and just have it live in Florida away from us as long as possible. This is a dumb story that no one's going to care about, but we have literally 22 or 24 Canadian geese nesting across the road from us right now. No. It's like a wildlife preserve over there. Yeah, except you're the wildlife. You're the one that are going to need to be preserved from the evil <laughs> uh, devil goose. All right, I don't have a great transition, but Castle Panic. Uh, that is a game I heard about when their big tabletop revolution happened up. So, like, we had a tabletop with Will Wheaton, and that's where I first saw this game. And then uh, a friend of ours bought it, and we played it a few times. I didn't realize this, but last year they did a Kickstarter for the Deluxe Edition. 
and they canceled it. I have never heard of this. Have you never heard of this? Have you no. not played this with us? I, I haven't seen the tabletop. Oh. I haven't played it with our mutual friend. I'm just finding out now that she has it, so please <laughs> take me down this wild uh, rabbit trail. I didn't don't know exactly why the last one was canceled, but this is the deluxe edition. And basically how the game plays is everyone sits down together. You're all just trying to protect your castle towers. Uh, you're going to have six of them, and around the six castle towers, you're going to have six castle walls. So it's a cooperative game. So everyone's holding cards, and you, with your cards, you can use them to attack enemies in a specific color, in a specific range. So at the beginning of the game, up to a certain amount of monsters, and then you put them on the board, and the board is... It's a square, but you're playing in essentially a big circle. And on the outer rim is the forest. Pretty much, unless said otherwise, all monsters start in the forest. And how it worked in the original one is if you drew a monster from the bag blindly, you would put it down on the board with the point facing towards the castle with the highest value. So like if you pull out a monster and it had a one or two on it, the two would point towards the castle. And every time you hit the monster, you would rotate it and it would go down to one. Now with the deluxe edition, you still draw tokens, except now you have plastic figurines. And what's cool about that is the plastic figurines have a rotating base underneath them. You know what? I'm gonna contradict everything I just said. I have played this. I know you've played this. <laughs> I'm like, we played it at my, our apartment. I <laughs> don't remember this. All, all of the plastic minis threw me off. This game was fun. Yeah. I remember liking this. Yeah, it is a fun game. And if you own the original, it you might want to pony up because you can just pay for all the new deluxe edition parts and everything. But I'll keep going with how the game is played. You have the monsters, and then on every turn, they move closer and closer and closer towards the castle. So if you have a monster move into the knight ring, then only knights can hit that monster. And there's three colors in the board. You got the red, you got the green, you got the blue. So if you have a blue knight and uh, you have a monster in the blue knight zone, you can hit it for one. You can also trade with other players, and let's say you want a blue archer and you give someone a knight. You can kind of synergize because you can hit the monster with an archer in the outer ring, and then on the next turn, the monster gets closer to the tower, and then suddenly that person you trade with has a blue knight and can now hit the monster again. It's pretty simple. I know there is some luck of the draw. Um, monsters come in with a roll of a dice, so there's six areas they can land. So it is pretty random. Like I know, I feel like we lost a game because we had all these castle walls up. We had one tower left, except we didn't have a wall blocking this one very specific spot, like let's say the five spot, and we lost because we couldn't get the monster out in time. And I'm like, if it was in any other region, we'd have won. You just have to play against the odds and stuff. I liked this game when we first played yeah. it. It's been a long time. I'd probably it like has. to pony up. But there's Castle Panic, the wood edition they're putting on Kickstarter. So that doesn't include the plastic monsters or the expansions. Uh, then for another $60, you only get plastics and no expansions. $90 gets you the plastics plus the wooden components. And then for $200, it just gets it, it starts getting expensive really really fast like if you want everything and i mean everything it's 350 american american you can always pick and choose which expansions you want on the pledge manager afterwards but it's a lot because i remember when we first got this it was i think it was less than 60 dollars. but i know that wasn't with wooden components it was just cardboard but again this is the deluxe edition i would say base game for 60 dollars 
with wood, pretty decent deal. I think the all-ins, like if you love Castle Panic, great, more power to you. But I think that's a little steep for what I remember. And bearing in mind, as of 15 minutes ago, I didn't even remember playing this. So take my memory <laughs> with a grain of salt. Uh, I don't. To be fair, that was how many lockdowns ago? Time moves different <laughs> now that we're in the 20s. So it is chronologically, I think, about nine years. It is pandemically probably about 18. Probably, exactly. For me, looking at the prices on this, I ask myself, would this be a better experience than buying something like Twilight Imperium? I don't necessarily think for me personally it would. I'd rather spend that kind of money on something like TI. But mm -hmm. if you love... Uh, castle panic or you feel like this is the type of thing that you want in your group it's not necessarily the heaviest thing but it's also not the lightest co-op game you can have a little bit of strategy with a little bit of push your luck and a little bit of just random chance thrown in there to keep you on your toes i i definitely think that there's a lot that they are offering especially if you want minis to paint yeah exactly and if you have the original like you can just pony up and get the the plastics and then maybe throw on an add-on or two so yeah and that was something that a lot of people were complaining about with the robinson crusoe campaign that was on game found a couple weeks back because the all-in on that was also very very expensive but if you already owned robinson crusoe and you just wanted to upgrade with plastic components it was only going to cost you like 60 bucks so there is an argument to be made that this isn't necessarily for people that are wanting to get in on the ground floor. It is for those fans that just want to upgrade a game they already love. Yeah, exactly. And uh, speaking of upgrading games that you already love, uh, a Kickstarter campaign that came out a couple years back was for something called Maximum Apocalypse. And the idea of Maximum Apocalypse is it's another co-op system. This is not necessarily a dungeon crawler, but it kind of has some similarities to those systems. But the idea is that there are different scenarios set during different types of apocalypses. So, for example, in the base game, you had like zombies, aliens, uh, robot uprising, and a nuclear apocalypse. And since then, uh, they've had a lot of success to the point where they are releasing another expansion, this one called Wasted Wilds. So the idea with Wasted Wilds is that it's expanding the player count on the base game. The uh, Maximum Apocalypse base game is a two to four player experience. Wasted Wilds pushes that up to six. It's also a good entry point if you didn't get in on the original Kickstarter because this is a standalone expansion, meaning that you can play it without owning anything else with one to four players. And can you mix the two together still? Absolutely. That's what they kind of want you to do. The idea with this system is that it's incredibly modular. So uh, they have a bunch of other expansions already, like Kaiju Rising, Gothic Horrors, Jurassic Perils. They kind of cover the gamut of different things that could cause the world to end. Uh, this one is more centered around the environment. So the reason that it's wilds is because they have added in new tiles. So in the base game, when you're exploring, there is a bunch of tiles laid face down on your table. And when you move your little model, you will flip that over and you could be in a bandit camp where you're going to have to either take some damage or lose one of your items. Or you could be on a farm where you get to take from the boon deck. Uh, there's a couple of different things that can happen. This new expansion will allow you to add tiles into the game that add things like exposure. So if you're on a tile that's outdoors after a certain time of day, you might get hypothermia, which then adds a card to your deck that you might not really want. Or it could be something where if you find yourself in a canyon and you are there for a couple of turns, bandits will hit you for X amount of damage. 
So that's one of the mechanics that they're bringing into this. The other one that they are bringing in is day-night cycles. So after everyone has done actions, a little disc will spin, and it'll slowly spin around as you kind of go through the day-night cycle. And depending on what time of day it is, it'll cause certain things to be stronger or weaker. Same thing goes for night. And then the other element that they've added in on this expansion is alliances. So there are different maraudering tribes that are kind of populating this world, and you'll start out neutral with some, you'll start out angry with some, you'll start out allied with some, and depending on the actions that you take in the game and what you do to those tribes, you can either increase or decrease your standing with them as well. Okay, so you can play this one solo too, correct? You can play this one solo, or you can play it with up to six players if you have the original game. Okay, that's how you get to the six players. You have to have both. Yes, exactly. And is there a pledge for that if you want the original, or is that... Absolutely, you know it, Sean. Uh, so the base pledge oh, is going to be uh, 73 bucks Canadian, $60 US. If you want just this as well as the new mini expansions that have come out, uh, it's 117 bucks. Otherwise, you can get the all-in, which is about $250, which is, again, a little on the high side, but you get a lot of stuff. So what's the purpose of the dice? It's just to spawn in new enemies? There's a couple of different things that the dice do. Some of it's to spawn in enemies. Some of it is to actually track the progress of time. I believe some of it is actually for like damage checks, that sort of thing. Is there an insanity marker? Because that's always fun. I imagine they probably brought one in with uh, the gothic one, but uh, oh, that's yeah. probably coming in the imminent Cthulhu expansion which i don't think they've announced yet but it's definitely happening <laughs> uh no it looks it looks kind of neat i like the art style i think some of the art is a little bit more gratuitous than i would really care for but i do really like the kind of comic booky clean line look that they have for this yeah it's almost like if archer was a little bit more cartoony as opposed to realistic it's got that kind of a vibe to it you're really good at describing art styles i just watched too many cartoons well it's come in handy <laughs> Oh, and there's a time traveler. Perfect. Yeah, that's one of the mini expansions. Uh, moving right along is a game that I, I found in the strangest way today. And I found most of the times we have these games picked out almost the week ahead, sometimes a few days before. But this one I literally found a few hours ago. I'll, I'll frame it this way. Let's pretend it's 1995. And Evan, your fictional mom puts you in front of your fictional computer screen. What are you doing on there? I am playing the Star Trek game that came on our Windows 98 computer. Okay, so you almost got the answer I wanted, but you're kind of playing an edutainment game, are you not? I mean, I learned not to put all power to phasers because that kind of makes your ship dead in the water and the Romulans blow you up. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's not the, the, maybe not the highest on the edutainment level, but like... Throughout the 90s, like, I had Reader Rabbit. I had Outnumbered. Uh, and then throughout, like, Carmen Sandiego, like, that was a big hit with Classic. us. And then there's all these point and clicks that we just missed out on. This is an entertainment board game. Oh. And I found it because a long, long time ago, I backed a project called Griffin Knight from uh, this new independent video game designer. And I was like, okay. Uh, eventually, it came out to Steam. I think it was okay. People who played it liked it. It was a, a shooter of sorts. And then I get this notification today, like, hey, we have a new project. I'm like, oh, who are you? Oh, right. The shooty Griffin game. Gotcha. And it's like, yeah, we have a game out called pit formula i'm like okay it's a board game huh. like it's a what this is super odd so i'm going through their kickstarter page and i'm like oh dice tower did a review of it that's interesting and i load it up and the dice tower video is three years old 
Did they give him an early copy and then just never decided to ship the thing? Initially, the game was released in Brazil and only in Brazil. So the Kickstarter is to bring it out toward North America. Okay. So it's an English update to it. Yet, they were sending out previews of the Brazilian to places like Dice Tower and stuff. And it's an edutainment game for people who are learning math skills. The idea is you have a board in front of you and everyone gets a certain color of race card, like yellow, blue, red, whatever. You flip over a situation card and it'll say like, hey, you're going to have problems with your tire and your fuel. So you're going to need to fix that. So I have two tires that need fixing and a fuel issue. So I put two tires onto my race card board as well as the fuel and then everyone else does the same and then we go on your mark that's it go and we flip all the cards over okay you'll have a question on there that says what's seven plus two or seven minus two and you have to go and grab the wheel marker with the right number on there so i'd be like oh uh seven minus two is five i throw that down and then you look at the next wheel and it's going to be like six plus one or six minus one like oh okay well i need seven for that and then for the fuel you have to find the numbers that are in between two other numbers so if it's like four and seven you need to be like oh man i need to find five and six really quickly and then for the engine you need to multiply so it's like three times six go for the nose bigger numbers you gotta do so like 55 minus 16 or 55 plus 16. And what's interesting about it is like, say you have a situation where uh, you need to pull a number and someone else has pulled it. You're like, oh man, I was doing seven plus two. That's not gonna work now, there's no nine. So you have to go and be like, all right, well now I need to do seven minus two and be like, okay, that's five. And then you go for that. What if you grab the wrong card? Oh, I was just gonna get that. So the first player who gets all their parts done gets to take a trophy and then you can push your luck if you need to and then you can score a couple more points however the players next to you look over what you've put on the board and if you're wrong you'll lose the trophy you score points based on how many correct answers you have and then you score points based on the trophy so like let's say you got the first trophy uh, and you're playing with three players, maybe you go up three points. But if you lost the trophy, you still will get points for every other question you have, right? Okay. And that's pretty much the game. It's very, very simple. But, like, a lot of times I have issues with, like, dexterity. Games, like, getting quick to draw. But, like, it's all math-based, right? So you have to think on your feet pretty quickly. Have you backed it? And have you justified that as being a really good way of teaching your son math skills? I might back it or I might just wait for it to... uh come to retail i haven't decided yet that's fair but it does look like it'd be Mm -hmm. a fun way of teaching math skills oh definitely i will say that the story of how you found this is wild and i'm fascinated by the fact that they went from making a video game to like you know what let's just stick to board games yeah (laughs) and uh i guess with that we have a show eh? we did it we did it. We made it. We found things. We found things. That's our job. Just like the title implies. If we found something that you want to comment on or you kind of feel like we missed a big one that we really should have dived into this week, be sure to let us know about it by emailing ifoundathingpod at gmail.com. And uh, until we meet again in a couple of weeks, my name is Evan Winch. I'm Sean Moore. Happy gaming. Happy gaming.